0: I feel like I'm losing hipster cred by recommending this one because it's so A-list right now.
1: Yeah, but I just say cool. So go ahead. Okay. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 95. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, this is a big week for me. My book, Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything is coming this September 19th. This is the story of how my long journey digging into seven popular personality frameworks changed my life for the better, and how you can put those frameworks to work for yourself to make real, lasting change in your life, in your work, and in your relationships without going through quite so many hard knocks yourself. To get yourself in the mood for all things personality, take our reading personality quiz. It's fast and free and easy to take, and hopefully a lot of fun as well. And if you want to know even more, I made a class for you. We'll spend an hour diving deeper into all nine types and give each set of readers their own book recommendations. Get the class for free when you pre-order Reading People. That's a great deal. We usually sell it for $15. You also get a free audiobook download of the book when it comes out on September 19th. This is a terrific deal and a rare opportunity to get the book in two different versions, plus my reading personality class at no additional cost. Readers, we have some live and in-person fall events coming up this season, so I can talk books and reading and reading people with you face to face. Right now, we have events on for New Orleans, St. Louis, Charlotte, and Asheville. Visit annbogle.com slash events for the latest information on where I'll be this fall plus detailed information on those stops I just mentioned. I would love to chat books and reading with you in person. Hope to see you there. And readers, in the process of releasing my own book, I've learned so many fascinating things about the publishing industry. I seriously had no idea how much I didn't know. And one of those things was this. When you shelve a book on Goodreads, Goodreads actually shows it to more readers. And that helps more people find the book. Would you take 20 seconds to do this quick, easy, and free thing to spread the word about reading people? Just add reading people to your to-read shelf on Goodreads. It's a tiny thing, but it makes such a big difference in helping people find the book. Thank you so much to those of you who've already done this. Goodreads is noticing, and I appreciate it so, so much. Readers, when I was a kid, my mom really hammered home to me the importance of always being kind to people. Because even though it might not seem like it at the time, it is a really small world. Well, I have a small world story for you today. Today, I'm talking to Nicholas Siegel, who filled out the What Should I Read Next guest submission form at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com guest. He didn't know I was in Louisville. Then, when I went to mail him a microphone, I found out he lived practically right around the corner from me. And then when we started chatting, we discovered we had all kinds of mutual friends who, and he doesn't know this, later said really nice things about him when I shared this small world story with them. So basically, my mom was right. Today, Nicholas and I cover a lot of ground. MFA fiction is a phrase we've thrown around on the podcast before. Today, Nicholas and I dive into what exactly that means. We talk about literary magazines and day jobs and reading as a writer. We cover how to approach a book that intimidates you and Nicholas's argument for not giving up on a book that's just not doing it for you. We also talk about a lot of diverse books and stories that are best described as just plain weird. Readers, this is a lot of fun. Let's get to it. Nicholas, welcome to the show. You gave me one of my stranger, what should I read next moments. We send all our guests microphones when they come on, if they, if they don't have an audio set up at home, just because we want the show to sound really good for our listeners. And when I got your mailing address, I went, wait, that's right around the corner from me in Louisville, Kentucky.
0: Yes, yeah, we live, we live very close. And uh, it, it's, it's weird to think that we're talking on these microphones probably within walking distance.
1: I've probably bumped into you in the library or the bookstore or the coffee shop and not even known it.
0: I'm sure we have. Like I, I'm, I'm out and about in Honey Brothers and Carmichael's all the time. So if, if we haven't bumped into each other, that would be very strange.
1: All right. We're going to, we're going to do it in the future. It's bound to happen. Well, I love the way that books bring people together from around the world and also apparently from like five blocks away. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today. And not just because apparently we have a strange number of overlapping circles. So one of the things you mentioned was that you have an MFA from a local university that I also have lots of connections to. And we've tossed the descriptor MFA around. here some on the show. Like some readers have explicitly said they love MFA fiction and some have referenced uh, skipping a degree or thinking about getting one in the future. But we have not ever explored what what that actually means. And if we know one thing about our listeners is that they like to know the nerdy behind the scenes details of how their books get written and published. So how would you describe an MFA program and that experience to those who aren't familiar with what that means?
0: Well, what an MFA program is, is um, it's as opposed to a more academic degree, it's more based in practice than academic study. So MFA programs range from music to acting to writing, the, the types of disciplines, I guess, where you you improve by practice and by exposure to the art, if that makes sense. So the, the MFA program in Louisville that, that I graduated from back in 2013 is at Spalding University, and uh, it's an MFA in creative writing. So there are actually categories within that. There's, there's fiction that you can, you can concentrate in, there's writing for young adults, uh, children and young adults, there's poetry, there's screenwriting and writing for the stage. So, oh, and then of course, there's creative nonfiction as well. So I, I, was a, I was a fiction student. So what that entailed was going to residencies on, on Spalding's campus that lasted two weeks uh, they were pretty intensive, where you would sit and, and writing workshops with people and get really in-depth into their work. Um, you'd sit through lectures and just be exposed to, to the arts in a lot of different ways. We'd go to plays in downtown Louisville and uh, poetry readings and all sorts of things like that. And uh, we went and saw the Moscow State Symphony Orchestra one, one semester, which was pretty cool. The biggest benefit of, a, of an MFA program for someone who's thinking about writing and creative writing is that you, you meet a lot of people that you might not have the chance to meet otherwise from uh, all over the country, and you you work closely with mentors each semester who who will read your work and sort of guide you in what they think you could do to improve your writing, what types of things you should be reading. Um, although there's a lot of freedom in working with a mentor, it, they're, they're there for guidance and they're always successful published writers. Um, but but just the workshop experience of meeting people of different ages and backgrounds from, from different parts of the country who would read my work. Uh, and whoever's work is being discussed in a workshop sort of has to sit there and be quiet for an hour and not say anything, which is a little bit intimidating. <laughs> but um, it's easy enough when, when people are having a round table discussion of one of your stories to to really take advantage of that and take notes and 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 you know if you have people from if you have seven different people from seven different states and backgrounds telling you this part of your story didn't work for them then it's probably a problem it was a great experience i'm i, I would highly recommend looking into an mfa for those who are interested in you know writing and and hearing from other people about their writing.
1: What is it that you want to be writing or hope to be writing now and in the future?
0: Um, I, I try, I've, my, my creative thesis there was a collection of short stories. And I, honestly, I, I look back on them now and sort of cringe at them like, oh man, <laughs> I've made a lot of like rookie mistakes in these things. But I enjoy writing short fiction a lot. I, I really liked writing flash fiction, which is, you know, very, very short stories under under a thousand words, but uh, I'm always working on some type of novel project and they'll generally fall apart and I'll just pick a new idea and try another one. But, you know, I I have been fortunate enough to publish a a handful of short stories with literary journals that, you know, some smaller literary journals and things like that. So I'm always trying to uh, keep writing and keep submitting and keep brainstorming and coming up with new ideas.
1: Okay. That's great. And we can find those on the internet. Yes. Great. We'll put those in show notes so that people can find them. Nicholas, I know from your submission form though, that you have a separate day job that is not writing fiction. How are you spending your Monday to Friday? Um,
0: Well, what I do is I am a copywriter and editor at a local university. So I'm, I'm writing ads for TV and radio and, and print, uh, which is, a lot of it, it's it's a lot of fun in a weird way. It sort of exercises a different a different area of like the writing muscle in my brain.
1: So you're writing ads, to, like the kind I'd hear on the local radio stations, promoting the university, that kind of thing.
0: And it's it's definitely uh, it, I, I've been doing that for a little over a year now, and it's um, it, at first you know I, I had never written an ad going in, into that job and. Just the, the creative people that I work with in that office are so uh, helpful and they've been so helpful in, in the learning process and, and sort of getting over that, that learning curve on on how to, you know, write, write a convincing ad, you know, whether that be for, you know, the back of a local magazine or something that, you know, you'll hear in 30 seconds on the radio or writing a script that we would adapt to television with visuals and things like that. So uh, it's a lot different than sitting down and trying to write a short story because I have to condense it into a short period of time and try to have some type of call to action and highlight a a lot of the uh, benefits of the programs we have at at our university. So it's been a lot of fun and it's been humbling and it's been uh, just a big learning experience and I think beneficial to to my writing in general, to sort of be thinking of something that I wouldn't necessarily be doing otherwise.
1: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really, really difficult, actually, but like a useful skill to have in your tool belt. What has the impact on your reading life been of being involved in a full-time literary program? And now you work with words. What, what do those things do to your reading life?
0: That's actually a good question. And that's that's one that I had early on in, in my program. So I, like I started, I've been reading since I was a really young kid and I had parents who you know, I was fortunate enough to have parents who read to me and read to my siblings and were interested in writing and sort of cultivating that interest in, in us. And uh, going into to grade school, I you know, I, I was a grade school student when Harry Potter came out, which was a big deal because he was sort of my age and I grew up with that character. Um, and I got into, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. And, you know, as a Catholic, those books were sort of important to me. And then um, from there on, you know, I I, I moved on into high school and college where I started reading more, I guess, contemporary American fiction and some British stuff. Uh, My interest sort of went in the direction of literary fiction. And when I started the MFA, I actually sat down with my, my very first mentor and I remember asking him, so how do I separate reading for, for pleasure from reading critically as a writer? And he just kind of smiled and laughed. And, and he was like, you know, you can never, you can never really turn that part of your brain off again, if you're serious about this. So, uh, it's not studying writing and and writing myself hasn't in any way Lessened the you know my my enjoyment in reading. It's just sort of you pay attention to it in a different way. And when I'm reading a book, I try to analyze how the writer did things, how he or she put words and sentences and paragraphs together and shaped things. And I'm and I'm sort of constantly you know whether it's whether it's uh, conscious on the front of my mind or subconsciously in the back. I'm I'm thinking you know how could I Use this technique in my own writing. Is this something that I'm interested in doing? So, uh, so I think I I read the same way. I think writers in general read the same way that readers do. It's just there's a little extra thing going on since you're sort of actively working on creating your own stuff. Anyone can write, and when anyone does start to write, you'll notice those muscles moving a little bit more when you read. Now, that's not to say I'm a more careful reader than someone who doesn't write, but it's just, it's a different kind of reader, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get it. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear the effect that has on your favorites and as you talk about them. Okay, Nicholas, you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Are you ready to dive in? I'm ready. All right, let's start with your favorites. What's a book you love?
0: Okay, so the first one I picked, And I'm always hesitant to say this because it's hard to say that a book is, is your favorite book of all time, but I picked 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And, uh, I think it's, I think it's my favorite
1: book. I love your timing because I don't think this book has ever come up on the podcast. I don't think we we might have mentioned Gabriel Garcia Marquez once or twice but just this week as we're recording a few what should I read next listeners started hotly de- debating this book on Twitter whether it was amazing or whether it was impregnable and well we can talk about that <laughs> i've seen quite a few creative family trees that are helping some people get through it
0: well that, that's really interesting that's that's one of the things i was going to bring up actually the, the family trees but
1: i don't i've never read this one so i'd love to hear uh, your take on it and what i mean that is high praise possibly favorite of all time so i'd love to hear what it is about this book that means so much to you
0: well so when i was uh, i actually gave a lecture once on on magical realism and, and writing and sort of magical realism as a as a global literary tradition from all over the world and the, the whole time I was giving this lecture I was just like I, I'm such a poser I haven't read 100 years of solitude and uh, I you know a few years later he uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez passed away and I, I thought you know I have to read this book and it's it's sort of intimidating and it it was one that had intimidated me for a while just because it's big and it looks really dense and you know you open up the front of the book and there's a family tree with all of these Spanish names that sound really familiar um or or, or look so repetitive on this page I'm looking at it right now um but I was just like you know what I'm, I'm this is this will be my summer project I'll, I'll work through this book and just suffer through it if I have to and uh I started and I was surprised at how readable it was and how fascinating it is on every single page. It, it, feels like, it feels like there's an adventure happening on every page of this book. And it's so surreal and so bizarre that it made me realize, oh, this is why I was interested in magical realism in the first place. Um, the, the characters and the story span such a, a huge chunk of time that by the end of the book, I found myself thinking back to the beginning and thinking that was like years ago that I read that when it was only, you know, earlier in the same month. So I'd I'd never had a book do that to me or or mess with my sense of time in that way. And uh, I haven't had a book do that since. So this is one of those ones where I I know I have to read it again. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that at some point soon.
1: Are you much of a rereader?
0: Generally, no. Uh, I I'm always sort of moving on to the next thing and there are a few books. It was mainly back in school when I was assigned a a book that I liked a second time, I would, I would definitely read it again, but uh, generally, no, I'm not.
1: Okay. So that really means a lot for you to say that about this one.
0: Yeah. I think I could get a lot out of reading this a second time, especially since it's so long and it's so dense that, you know, I I was bound to have missed things.
1: Okay. So To those of us who are intrigued but also seriously intimidated, what would you tell us?
0: I would tell you that I was intimidated too and uh, maybe read the first 20 pages. And, you know, if you're not hooked, then maybe it's not for you. But it certainly grabbed my attention pretty quickly. And it's the – let's see. I have it. I'm holding it in my hands. So let's see. The translator is Gregory Rabassa. That's the one that I read. I've, I've not read another translation of it, but that's the one that I read, and I loved it. So, uh, give it a shot. I think it's a little bit more readable than you might think, and uh, the, the character name, you know, I, I saw, one of the main reasons I was intimidated was that family tree at the beginning, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to flip back to the beginning of the book and reference this thing constantly throughout, and I don't think I really ever did. Um, it's hard to keep the character straight in your head, but it's surprising how little that matters, I think, once you get into it. So just read through it. If you feel like, you know, you're more confused than you should be, maybe flip back to the beginning, but just, you know, I, I would say take it easy and just read through the thing. And it's surprising how, how little you need to reference all that stuff at the beginning.
1: Okay. I actually find that really encouraging. So to you, it was less intimidating up close than it was from afar.
0: Yeah, I definitely think so. And it, it, it's it's about, uh, let's see, it's it's somewhere around 420 pages. But, you know, you give yourself a summer or something to, to slowly work through it. And it's, uh, you know, I read this book. I finished it in Destin, Florida, on on the balcony overlooking the ocean. And it was so that sort of like makes it this it it sort of like over romanticizes this book in my head for me but it puts me it puts me in a good place i'm like oh man that book reminds me of the ocean
1: 420 pages i actually thought it was more than that i think i think it's like the fish story where every time you catch it it gets a little bit bigger that's me thinking of gabriel garcia marquez nicholas what's your next favorite book
0: okay so my next the next one that i picked is uh this is a writer who i discovered this year it's it's someone that people have been recommending to me for a long time, and you know, for a handful of reasons, I kind of put put her off. But this book is called Get in Trouble by Kelly Link, and this slot could really be held by any of her books. I think I've read about let's see, I've I've read I guess three of them. Uh, this is her latest one, and it was the first one that I read. So it's a it's a short story collection, and uh, I think you'll see in all three of my picks that I that I chose there's a, a lot of magical realism involved this is a collection of magical realism short stories and like i said people have been recommending her to me for years and just so if you look at a, a summary or a synopsis of some of her stuff it seems overtly fantasy and and i guess that's why i kind of put it off i was like oh these these stories have vampires in them and werewolves and superheroes and things It it just you know I have all the respect in the world for that stuff, but it's just not generally my thing to be that that overtly fantastical. but uh when I started reading her, I was just like, Oh my God, this is why I want to write and she's she's now one of she she very well could be my favorite living writer that i've that I know of right now. and I think I was surprised by how I'm always attracted to surrealism in writing. her stories as as weird as they are still feel like you're you 're sort of in a dream and they feel like you 're in the real world, but something's something 's just strange about it it 's very literary and it 's just sort of hard to compare to anything else that i 've read she she does She reminds me of Karen Russell a lot who wrote Swamplandia. and uh, that that 's one people are a little bit more familiar with and I think uh, I think there are a lot of similarities between between their writing
1: i 've not read karen russell i 've read a few of the stories in Get in trouble. That's the only Kelly link I've read any of. And when you said that all your picks had a common theme and it was magical realism, I thought you were just going to say they were weird.
0: You know what? That's another way to say it, I think. Because (laughs) even as someone who tries to write magical realism and someone who has studied it and given lectures on it, I don't even really know how to describe it. And, And I feel like. I feel like that's just that goes to show how weird of a genre this or it's not even a genre it's it's more of just a, a, a literary tradition or a writing style and it's um. it's it's very distinct from from fantasy and that it's generally set in the real world and uh, the weird stuff that happens is is subtle and and more on the surreal side if, if that makes sense it, it's it's sort of a the weirdness isn't addressed as being weird. It, and and I, I like that about a book.
1: That it just is.
0: It just feels like I'm dreaming.
1: Okay. Nicholas, what's your third favorite book?
0: Okay, my third favorite book is, this is Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. Uh-huh. So.
1: Also weird. Right at home here.
0: Also also very weird. and And remember back in the day when I said Kelly Link was my favorite living writer? It might actually be George Saunders. I don't know they they're they're uh they're battling it out in my head all the time but
1: you know I think they could keep each other in good company right there at the top
0: I think like you know what it, it's uh let's let's just give them both a first place medal because this book is fantastic and have you read this one I have okay it's 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 weird the way that it's it's set up because it's sort of it's yeah
1: it's you, so weird. you know
0: what I'm talking about so <laughs> it's it's got um bits of dialogue followed by character names and and then usually every other chapter there'll be excerpts from historical texts about abraham lincoln and uh it's set in a it's set in a graveyard the 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 book sort of follows um the death of abraham lincoln's son and him visiting, you know, his son in in the graveyard, and all the ghosts that are there and, and involved with uh, keeping this kid company. And it's I, I would imagine I'm not a parent. I would imagine this is a difficult book for a parent to read. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of grief involved. It's very, you know, emotional at times. And but the way that it's written is is it's it's bizarre, but it's fascinating that all these ghosts have these intricate stories about why they appear the way that they appear after they've died and uh, what in their life caused them to be sort of obsessive about these different things that manifest after they die. So there's really nothing like this book that I've ever read before. And I, I've read a lot of George Saunders, other stuff, you know, this is his first novel. He's, he's written a lot of short fiction. So I was, really excited to hear about this book when it was when it was originally announced back a few years ago. Um, I went and saw him actually at Parnassus Books in Nashville when he was doing a reading for this book. And so he, he gave a lot of the background on how he came up with the idea and how it's sort of been stewing in his brain for a long time. And um, he's a fascinating guy to listen to. And he was very kind and funny and interesting. And, you know, if anyone ever gets the chance to go see him, I recommend it.
1: That sounds amazing. I heard him speak. Uh, you know what? I was thinking it was last year, but it wasn't. It was the year before that when this book was still in process. And he read from 10th of December at the time and talked about the creative process. When I read this, I read the e eGalley. So like a poorly edited version for Kindle before it was out and before I knew anything. And that was really, really disorienting. I would have loved to have been able to hear him speak about the book and then dive into it.
0: Well, the way he did it was really interesting. And and for those, I'm not a big ebook, or I'm sorry, I'm not a big uh, audiobook listener. And I know a lot of your listeners probably are. The audiobook version of Lincoln and the Bardo has got a lot of praise from people, because there's, you know, there's a ton of characters in here. There's I mean, at least 50. And I think every single one of them has a different voice actor for the audiobook. There are people like David Sedaris and Ben Stiller and Keegan-Michael Key and George Saunders and just a lot of big celebrities wanted to to do readings for this book. So the way that he he did the reading on the stage in the bookstore when I went and saw him is he had a handful of local actors from Nashville come up and read the different parts. It, It was it was really interesting to listen to that way because when you're reading it, I, I totally see how it's disorienting because it disoriented me too, to see them up there as characters and to hear the distinctive voices and to not have to constantly reference who's talking. And I don't want to turn anybody away from this book. You should totally read this book. It's just it just it, it can be it can be a little bit difficult because it's it's so unique in how he did it. But uh, Parnassus actually put up the YouTube clip of that whole that whole reading I went and saw. So if anybody's interested in watching that reading, it's it's online.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see that. That sounds very cool that he did that. I've only heard some of the audiobook, book, uh, but I keep thinking I'm going to take the time to go back and listen to the whole thing for just the reasons you said. And it's not very often where I want to do both formats, especially not at the same time. But a lot of readers have said that if ever a book deserved it, it was this one because the audio was so good and because the book was so unusual and just not what they were used to and that to be able to see the action happening but then get to experience it happening in their ears as well is really worth the time and energy in a way that most books you know it would be nice but you don't feel like you need it to really understand what's happening And a lot of readers though not all felt like to really get it they need it both for this one
0: I, I can I can definitely see that.
1: Okay, now Nicholas, how do you feel about the H word?
0: Ooh, the H word. I I don't uh. I don't like saying that I hate a book, and uh, for that reason, I kind of picked one that can stand up for itself. I think. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't want to pick, pick a book that like nobody had heard of and be like, "This book is trash. Don't read it." But uh, but I picked one that a lot of people seem to like and. Uh, it's um, it's called A Gate at the Stairs by Laurie Moore. This this is actually another book that a lot of people recommended to me.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing it on all the best books of the year lists back when it came out, but I've never read it.
0: It's one where people said, you know, Nicholas, you're going to love this. And, and it's people who I I appreciate them as readers and I appreciate some of them as writers. And it really didn't work for me. But this is a book, I'd like to say this, this is my little disclaimer. Because of all the critical praise that this book has gotten from, you know, literary critics and commercially, definitely pick it up and give it a shot because you might like it. But uh, it, it's just one that that personally I had some issues
1: with. You got to tell us more.
0: I was a little I was confused about the character's motivations. Like almost every page, some character was doing something that made no sense to me. It, it was politically charged in a in a sort of soapboxy way i thought so so instead of it dealt a lot with that post 9 11 feeling that was going through the country of you know just fear and anger and and politicism and because of that i think it might not age very well because it's it's such a particular time in, in u.s history that i felt like the way that that laurie moore wanted to get her political opinions across was A little bit lazy and that she had a a lot of side characters who had nothing to do with the story having long conversations about politics that had nothing to do with the story sort of scattered throughout the book and it really took me out and it took me out of the action because it's a story about adoption and race and things like that and uh, it just completely yanked me out of the experience when she got into politics even even if I agreed with what she was saying it didn't seem like the right place for it.
1: Okay. So it's not... So would you say that you like to really sink into a story and feel like you're living in that world? And with A Gate at the Stairs, you felt like you couldn't quite because you kept being reminded that it was a book.
0: I kept being reminded that uh, the author had something she wanted to say.
1: Okay. Yeah, I can see it does have a lot in common with the books that you that you loved. So I can see why people would have suggested it to you. However... No soapboxy, and you just want a book that's really, really good (laughs) to you. I mean, you know, that's not hard to find or anything. No, no, but that's the dream. Okay, I mean, that's what I want to find for sure. But yeah, it's tricky. I
0: I enjoy like I enjoy reading. I always finish books, even if I don't like them, uh, because I think there's something to. You know, there's something to take away from that experience because, as a reader, well, first of all, as a writer, I, I learn the types of things I don't want to do. But even if you're not a writer, you learn the types of things that you don't like in a book, and and you know, you can take one of your biggest hobbies and one of your biggest pastimes and understand it better. So, generally, I I know a lot of people say, you know, life is short and there's too many good books out there, but finishing a bad book is rewarding in a different way. And also, I don't want to say that this is a bad book. I just didn't like it.
1: Okay, I like that point of view. Nicholas, what are you reading right now?
0: Oh, okay. So right now, I'm reading. Uh, I'm reading two books, which is weird because I usually only read one at a time. The first one is "Dark Places" by Gillian Flynn. Uh, this is one that my sister got me for my birthday, and we, you know, we share our interest in the stuff that Gillian Flynn writes and, you know, we both liked Gone Girl and have read her other stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm generally not much of a, like, I'm not big on thrillers, but I do like her stuff a lot. And I'm about halfway through this one.
1: Okay. And sisterly bonding too.
0: Yes. There's that.
1: What else are you reading right now?
0: The other one is uh, called The Bird Market of Paris by Nikki Moustaki. What's that? That it's a memoir. Um, So Nikki Moustaki wrote this book about First of all, I'm not very far into it. I'm only about 20 pages in. But uh, I heard about this book on Snap Judgment, the NPR show. And Nikki told her story of raising birds and how her grandfather raised her to, to take care of all different types of songbirds and things like that. And how a hurricane sort of took it all away from her and killed all her birds and sort of wrecked her life as she knew it. And it's about this sort of like quest or journey that she goes on to the bird market of Paris where her grandfather told her um, was one of the you know, the coolest places. And it's, it's a story about um, her you know memories of her grandfather and her struggles with alcoholism and, and this journey she goes on to try to figure things out after she loses everything. And it's really interesting
1: yeah that sounds really interesting and really unique
0: yeah it's it's a it's a weird it's another one of those weird stories that has sort of you know i I heard her tell the story and then they they pitched the fact that it was a book and I was like okay i have to I have to read this one
1: Nicholas is there anything you want to be different or that you want more of in your reading life
0: um so there actually is i last year I, I use goodreads to track the books that I read and Last year, when I was sort of posting my recap to, like, my friends on Facebook of, like, this is all the stuff that I read, I noticed that, like, way too much of it was by men, and I had barely read anything by women, so this year I've made a conscious effort to mainly read books by women, and, you know, from this point forward, I'd like to sort of balance that a little bit better consciously. And, uh, you know, not, not only men and women, but, you know, people all over the LGBT spectrum and, and people from different countries and backgrounds and things like that. I, I just like to vary up my, my reading in that way. So I'm getting different voices and different perspectives and stuff.
1: Okay. Well, that is good to hear. I admire that goal. And we will keep that in mind as we choose books. Awesome. All right. We'll get to it right after the break. Hey, readers. I want to take a minute to tell you what others are saying about my book, Reading People. Here's an email I just got in my inbox. Mary writes, I consider myself pretty well-versed in the land of personality types, both the quote real ones and the what snack food are you variety, but I really didn't know anything about highly sensitive people except for hearing you and Megan Teets talk about it on What Should I Read Next? Readers, that's episode 66. Okay, the email says, a lot of things in my life suddenly make sense to me. Thank you for writing this book. I'm excited to finish and share it. And here's what Sarah has to say. Here's what I love about reading people. I've read about the StrengthsFinder, I've read about Kiersey, I've read about the Love Languages, and I've read about Myers-Briggs. I've read all these personality books, but I didn't know how useful it would be to have them all together in one book. Having all these different ones line up in one book gives you a whole picture that I wasn't able to get when I was looking at them one at a time. When you combine them, like you've done in reading people, I feel like I get the whole picture about myself and about my husband and my kids. It's been so fun to read. I'm enjoying it a lot. I wanted to provide a fun-to-read, easy-to-understand overview of the personality frameworks that have been most helpful to me. I wanted to make this important information a lot more accessible and a lot less intimidating. And I wanted to highlight the kind of valuable insights that come from understanding personality and do this in a way that lets you put these insights to work in your own life immediately. My goal is to make you go, oh, so that's how it works, or oh, so that's why I do that again and again and again. Readers, we have a special bonus episode coming your way that I'm really excited about. My publisher has given me permission to read the entire first chapter of Reading People and to share it with you here on the podcast. That bonus episode, number 96, is coming your way this Friday, September 15th. That first chapter will give you a better idea of what the book is like and also an idea of what the audiobook is like because I read that myself. In fact, if you're interested, Go ahead and pre-order your copy now wherever new books are sold, whether that's your local indie or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Book Depository or Target or anywhere else. When you order, take your receipt and visit readingpeoplebook.com before September 19th to get those great pre-order bonuses we made just to say thank you. That's my reading personality class, which you get instant access to, and a code to download a free copy of the audiobook that's read by me when the book comes out on September 19th. Those bonuses are only available till release day, so don't forget, order yours now. And if you've ordered already, thank you so very much. Those early orders are so important in helping get the word out about the book. And the hardest thing about releasing a book like this is even letting people know it exists. Your pre-order tells retailers that this book matters, and your order changes the way they promote it. Thank you for your order, and thank you so much for your support. Nicholas, are you ready to talk about your books? I am ready. Okay. Well, I feel like you know what's going on. So you have mostly contemporary literary fiction, except Marquez. I think that book just had its 50th anniversary not too long ago.
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: Okay, good. So you've got a whole lot of magical realism, but you're not so receptive to the idea of fantasy, but you're fine with weird.
0: I definitely like weird.
1: Okay. We're looking for different perspectives, different cultures, a global tilt would be a good idea. And we need two out of three women, if not three for three.
0: Oh yeah, sure. Either, either one of those would be perfect.
1: Okay. What have you read by Zadie Smith? I have read nothing by Zadie Smith. Okay. This might be a bridge too far for you, or it might really be perfect. I'm thinking about her 2012 book NW. Do you know anything about this?
0: NW. No, I've not heard of that one.
1: Okay. So for a long time, I thought it... Sometimes I think the title sounds harsh or impenetrable or weird, and I don't want to read the book. If I had known more about London, and I had known that this title comes from the NW postcode area in Northwest London, I probably wouldn't have put off reading it for so long.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting. I I didn't even think about that.
1: I thought it stood for something... I don't know what I thought it stood for, but I didn't think it was a postal code. So some people think that this novel had a whole lot of potential and no execution. And other people thought it was completely brilliant. And I think the only way to find out is to read it for yourself. But you do like some unusually constructed experimental stuff, which makes me feel comfortable at least floating the idea out to you. Okay, so... She's chosen a really interesting structure for her book that is not at all conventional. And I really think the medium is the message here. Zadie Smith is following four different characters living in London where she has personal deep roots. One of those characters shares my last name, which is kind of fun and won't matter at all to you. But she shifts between um, like different points of view. Like you have some first person, some third person, you have some stream of consciousness, you have some movie style dialogue. Uh, You have a couple other techniques that are not unusual in and of themselves. You don't usually find quite so many of them between two covers. And what she's trying to do is represent what, what it's like to live in a city these days, how there is a melting pot of people with different voices and perspectives. And she's really deliberately doing that with her text. And she's definitely, she wants to make you think about big issues like issues of agency. How much control do we really have in our lives? How much is just luck? How much does ambition matter? Why do some people seem to get all the breaks and others not? Like who's in charge of our destiny anyway? And she does it in this container that either will be amazing and perfect or distracting, but I really hope you'll find it a good thing and not just weird for the sake of weirdness how does that sound to you
0: that sounds really interesting and I'm actually uh I'm glad you recommended recommended one by someone who I haven't heard of
1: great and I have seen this although not particularly recently but I'd like to think it's still there at our friendly local neighborhood bookstore
0: perfect that's where I'll get it then
1: okay excellent all right for book two can I go mail because I really think this might be perfect for you yes okay we have a book by Kanish Tharoor, who's an author who was born in Singapore, grew up in India, I believe, and is now based in New York City, although I think he did some time in Britain as well. He, You may know him from the BBC show Museum of Lost Objects. Is that something you've heard of? Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Well, that's okay. That's fine. You don't need that to make sense of this here, but some readers may know him from there. And this is his first written collection. Um, This is his debut. And a lot of readers, like all kinds of readers are calling this book a really pleasant surprise, not because they expected it to be bad, but because it kind of came out of nowhere. Like nobody knew that he was this kind of writer. And here's why I like it for you. So first of all, it's a short story collection, which means you can't live in another world for several hundred pages, but you do get the opportunity to enter all kinds of different worlds a little bit at a time. I feel like an author has talked about this in a way, but I can't think who it would have been. But what this author said, and we'll put it in show notes if I can think of it, is that when you read a story, when you read a novel, a full length novel, you can immerse yourself in another world and you're the one who enters it. But in a short story collection, with each short story, you're opening a door and like peeking inside to somebody else's world, but you're not the one living it. You're just, it almost makes me think of a children's book where you open the windows and see what's going on in the different rooms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can totally see that for a short story collection. That's a really cool uh, metaphor, I guess.
1: Okay. Well, I like it. And the thing about short stories is just because of the time element, if they're 15 to 30 pages instead of 300, you can get a lot more visits into different worlds between the covers of two book. So he is all over the place in this collection and all over the globe. And sometimes when, when critics say a writer is all over the place, they don't mean it in a good way. I mean it in a good way. So in the first story, he profiles a woman and a language has died and she is the last speaker of it. And they want to record it before it dies out completely. And you'd like, you probably won't re- well, okay, now I've ruined it for you, but A lot of people have said that as they, it's only after they read the story that they realize, like, wait, I didn't know anything about the language. (laughs) I was so busy. I was so busy like paying attention to her that I didn't quite realize like, what was that language? Does this really happen? And the author said, yes, I'm fascinated by dead languages. And I wanted to write a story about that. And he does that really interestingly. There's a story called Elephant at Sea that is amazingly based on a true story where Someone wants to send an elephant as a gift from India to Morocco to give the princess, and it's based on a true story. Yet it's completely fantastical, and I don't know if you would call these magical. There's there's a little bit element of magic, but mostly um, they're imaginative and otherworldly, absurd but gently so, uh, very very playful.
0: That sounds that sounds perfect.
1: Okay, good. I'm glad to hear it. They're strange, but they're not super dark. Like, he can be snarky and ironic and wistful, but not, like, nothing feels cruel. Can can you handle that?
0: I can definitely handle that.
1: Okay. And it's, it's weird. Like, there's a story called Tale of the Tea House, where a small city is just waiting for Genghis Khan to come in and take them over.
0: Oh, well. I hate when that happens.
1: I know. But I mean, you do what you do and you sip your tea and, you know, wonder, wonder what's what they're going to be like when they get here. So, yeah, it's weird. And I think that's good for you.
0: I think that's good for me, too. It sounds awesome.
1: Okay. Book three is not out yet. So I feel confident you haven't read it.
0: I, I would go out on a limb and say that I probably haven't.
1: But you may have a history with this author that makes you I don't know. Have you read any Louise Erdrich?
0: Tracks is the only Louise Erdrich that I've, that I've read. I, I read it for a 20th century American novel class back in my undergrad. And I, I loved that book.
1: Okay. So she has a book coming out on November 17th of this year. It's called Future Home of the Living God. And here's what I like about this for you. Readers, Future Home of the Living God really reminded me of another book I had read, but I couldn't quite place it when I was talking to Nicholas and it was driving me bonkers. But it was The Handmaid's Tale. The tone and setup are so similar to this one. Also, it's a little bit like Justin Cronin's The Passage. All right, that's all. Just wanted you to know. Back to the show. Contemporary. Erdrich is Native American. She she's a member of the Chippewa tribe. So I also like that for you. And in this book, she definitely explores Native American culture in a way that's really interesting, especially because of the setup, which is super, super strange, which is something I really like for you. So without giving the total plot summary, her new book is set roughly in the present day. And the setup is that there's a biological meltdown. It's not the kind of apocalyptic novel. I wouldn't call it an apocalyptic novel, but it's not the kind of world crisis disaster story you've read before. Like the North American borders are closed because of all this strangeness. And it's not the kind of apocalypse we've encountered before in books or the movies or anything like that. So I like that it's imaginative like that. And it's, it's science fiction in a way that she hasn't ventured into before or at least not that, not that I know about. The story opens and you slowly realize that you are reading a letter written from the perspective of a woman named Cedar Hawk songmaker. She's 26, she's pregnant, and she's reading this to her unborn child. And because of this biological apocalypse, is a pregnant woman the authorities in charge who are kind of scary and sinister value like she's really important to them but over time it dawns on her that she is special because she's pregnant but more than that the child she's carrying is super special because they think that she's carrying a they call them a normal just a regular fetus in her womb so as the story goes on we find out that it's even more than that it's not that she's giving birth to a a quote, normal baby, but that evolution appears to have stopped and is maybe going backwards. And it's even more dire and strange and unprecedented than they realized. So obviously we have this whole, like, is the world ending scenario. We have these um, very strange science fiction kind of tropes. We have huge human elements just because of the nature of relationships in anytime but especially in a time where people are feeling threatened what do you think
0: i think that sounds like a very cool concept and especially from someone like louise Erdrich, who uh doesn't seem to write that speculatively you know in her other stuff so i'm i'm uh i'm intrigued by that one
1: i am so curious about the origin story of this novel which i have no idea right now what it is but i hope to hear it in the next few months because i'm very very curious
0: when did you say that one comes out?
1: November seventeenth.
0: November seventeenth. Cool.
1: Although I might have a copy in your neighborhood. That would be. Uh, <laughs> that would be nice. All right, we'll talk, Nicholas. Of those three books, what do you think you'll read next?
0: I'm actually really interested in all three of these, and um, I think I think I might go pick up the Zadie Smith first, uh, N.W., and then. I plan on reading all three of these very soon. These will probably be the next three books I read.
1: All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks for talking books with me today.
0: Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nicholas today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Nicholas and to let him know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 95. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Vogel. That is Anne with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Vogel and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, we have that special bonus episode coming your way on Friday. Hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And next week, we have another very special episode coming your way. Way back in episode 84, I mentioned offhand that one day on the podcast, we would have to talk about all the fascinating things I've learned about the publishing industry and the process of bringing this book to life. A bunch of you all heard me say that and said, yes, please. I want to hear that episode. So we're doing it on release day, September 19th. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes, what should I read next news? Make sure you're getting our free newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rilke said, ah, oh, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.